What a glorious truth that is. You may have a seat. And as you have a seat, if you've got a Bible with you, I would encourage you to open it to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. We're going to start in chapter 5 and make our way back to the introduction in verse 1 and 2. But 1 Peter, as we begin a new series called Exiles, a study in 1 Peter, as for the next 19 weeks we are committed to working through this one verse at a time, diving into this together as a church and unpacking all that God has for us in this book, this beautiful letter from Peter. So if you're there in 1 Peter, it's at the very back of the Bible. It'll also be on the screen behind me. You can type it in in the CSB, which is the Christian Standard Bible for using your phone. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll get there in just a moment, and I want to open us up in prayer. So would you pray with me? Pray for yourself, pray for someone else, and pray for me. So let's dive in this together. God, we come to you humbly, knowing that we deserve nothing from you. Fairness from you would mean to deserve hell separated from you with nothing in return. That's what we've earned and what we, have, what we deserve, but yet we have grace and peace abounded to us. So God, I pray that as your church here at the park dives into your inspired word together, that God, you would increase our knowledge of you. You increase our joy in you. You would increase our stamina for you in the power of your spirit and that our eyes would be enlightened to understand your word today, that our ears would hear it and we would comprehend it through your spirit and that your spirit would transform us and take it out into our lives and in the life here at our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first time that I ever left our country, I was a little nervous. I was headed out on a mission trip to a third world country and we had done a lot of planning, a lot of preparation for this trip. And as we arrived in this country, the mission that we were working with told me a couple things about the airport that as we came. And they said, listen, it's going to be out of your control, but there's going to be some men that work there that are just going to start grabbing all of your bags. And they're going to put them on a cart and they're going to push them out to the bus for you where you're going to be picked up. And they said, listen, you need to know this, that no matter what happens, do not pay those men directly. When you get to the end of the ramp and to the bus, we as a mission will distribute money to these men. If not, they're just going to take advantage of you. And so I went in thinking, I got this. I can do that. Awesome. No problem. And sure enough, we land and these men start grabbing all our bags. They're throwing them up on carts and they're pushing them out to the bus for us. And the whole team that I was leading and the leaders that were on it were way out in front of me. And it was just me hanging out with these guys pushing the bags. And as we were about to go around the corner, down the ramp to outside, the men stop. And they say to me, you pay us right now. And I said, oh, no, no, guys. The mission said that when you get to the bottom, that's when we'll pay you. They said, no, that's not how it works. And then they started screaming in their native language and motioning at me and making a huge scene and then in broken English the biggest one of the group put his finger on my chest and said you pay me right now so I paid him right then <laughs> and they walked away with smiles on their faces knowing that they had taken advantage and got a payment from a foreigner who had no idea what he was doing <laughs> 
I had many plans, but I had never experienced up until that point life as a foreigner. Living and being in a country that you don't speak the language, that is unfamiliar to you, and it sets you on edge all the time. Even though you have a great plan going ahead, that plan can easily be ruined. So as we embark on this series called Exiles, I want to define what that is. It's a temporary resident in a foreign land. And a temporary resident, an exile that's been dispersed from his country, doesn't even go there on their own free will, is sent somewhere else to a foreign land, an exile can expect difficulty. And this book is Peter's field manual to the church who is in exile. So if you're in 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 12 with me as Peter's going to tell them the very reason at the end of why he has written this letter. Verse 12 says, through Silvanus, a faithful brother, you might know him as Silas, that's his full name, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you, there's the first reason he's writing, and to testify that the testify that this is the true grace of God. That's the second reason. Thirdly, he says, stand firm in it. So he says, I'm writing you to encourage you. I'm writing you to tell you about the true grace of God. And I'm writing you to stand firm in the midst of all of those things. So I declare to you that this is God's truth. And I want to tell you who you are. And so Peter is going to use his whole letter to declare God's truth. And to tell his people who they are in light of his truth. And because of that, how they are to endure in a hostile territory. How to submit to governing authorities that are against them. And how to have hope in the present time that they're living in, in light of their future hope. So turn back with me to chapter 1, and let's look at some insight into the author, the recipients, and the aim of Paul's letter through this epic greeting found in verse 1, chapter 1. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen... Living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. You may be seated. Verse 1, right out of the chute, we see who the author of this letter was, and it is Peter. So who wrote this? Peter, who if you've been around church or maybe you've heard the stories of Peter, that's who it was. The fisherman and a paradox of a man. He exercised so much faith and immediately was often met with so much doubt of even greater than his faith. As when the disciples are sitting around and Jesus is asking them, who do people say that I am? And then they ask, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then just a few moments later, Peter decides to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. And to set him straight where Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's quite a difference there, isn't it? 
He has faith to walk on water and gets out of the boat when no one else is willing to. But all of a sudden, he looks at the wind and the waves around him and doubts arise and he sinks down in the water, only again to be saved by Jesus. He promises to stay awake and to pray instead of falling asleep in the garden. Now, this is the one that I can probably relate to the most, right? It's late at night. He's exhausted. And Jesus says, watch and pray. Now, I think I would have some hope in humanity if, like, they, the, the apostles were actually able to stay awake during this time. But even during this time, they fall asleep instead of praying for Christ the way that he has asked them to. When the uh, centurions and the soldiers come to take away Jesus to be crucified, I think that Peter is going after the head of the high priest's servants to cut it off. And instead he misses and gets the ear. Right? Every, he sets out to all do these great things. And then he says to Jesus, no matter what happens, I am never going to leave you. I'll be with you to the very end. And you know the story, Peter denies Jesus three times. So yes, this is Peter. And what I think you're going to love about this, knowing who the author is, and we have so much written about him, all his successes, all his failures, it's really easy to identify with Peter in this book. To say, Peter is a guy that I know. And Peter is a man that I can relate with. So that's who he is, but who is Peter? He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle means one who has been sent. And he has not just been sent out by anyone, but Jesus himself. Whenever you see the list of the apostles in the scripture of the disciples, Peter is always mentioned first, signifying that he was the leader of this group. And he tells us in chapter 5, a little bit before where we just read, that not only was he sent out by Jesus, but he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So Peter not only writes this as someone who's been around for a while, but someone with great authority who's been sent out by Jesus, not just as an eyewitness to Jesus, but part of his inner circle. He saw Jesus transfigured. That means all the power, even though he was human, he took him up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they saw Jesus in all of his glory and all of his majesty. And Peter's going to tell us about that in his second letter. But he's also, of all of his failures, an amazing leader in the early church. He preached at Pentecost, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Listen, Peter was an absolute boss in the, power of the Holy, in the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And so that tells us who he is, where his authority comes from. Well, who's he writing to? To those chosen living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia. You guys are all really familiar with those places, aren't you? No, you're probably not, but who's it written to? These are written to Roman colonies in Asia Minor. Or you could look at it and say, when I look at a map, it's modern-day Turkey. That's the churches that he is writing to in modern-day Turkey, Turkey, these Roman providences of full of Jew and Gentile Christians, that is those that have come to know Jesus and are now a part of these churches in the places that he is. This would have been a letter that would have been started at one place and then carried to another church and at every place that it went, Peter's writings to all these churches would be read aloud to the congregation. 
So that's where they are. But why are they exiled? Why are they dispersed? This letter was written in the mid-60s. So very close to the time of Christ. Very early in the first century. And it's just a few years before Peter's death. Now Peter and Paul both died in the 60s under the emperor Nero. Now if you know anything about history, you know that Nero was a really crazy emperor. He actually decided that he didn't like the old city of Rome because it was made of wood and he wanted to rebuild it. So he intentionally burnt down the city of Rome, a portion of it that he wanted to rebuild. And as he did that, it's said that he played his fiddle and watched it happen. But of course, the people who lived there weren't too excited about their city being burnt down. And he needed someone to blame it on because he didn't want to take ownership for it. So he decided to blame it on this new sect, this new people that banded together called Christians. And began an intense persecution under the emperor Nero in Rome. So much so that he would put Christians in carcasses of animals and throw them in the Colosseum to be torn to pieces. He would use Christians, dip them in oil, and then put them on post and light them on fire and use them to light up his garden at night and have parties where Nero would ride around in his chariot naked and celebrate while these Christians made the light for them as they were burnt alive. It was a crazy, terrible time. And Peter is writing from Rome in the midst of this. Now, he's writing to people that have been dispersed. The persecution had not yet spread on a huge, intense scale quite yet. It was coming. They started to feel pieces of it, these ones that were in modern Turkey in Asia Minor. They started to feel the persecution. They began to see it. But Peter is writing to them and saying, the stuff that you're feeling now, it's going to get a lot worse. And you need to know who Christ is. You need to know who you are if you are going to endure and follow Christ. Because it's going to get a lot worse. So 1 Peter is a great book for us today. Because all around the world there is persecution that's happening in the church. There are people that are meeting underground because they're not allowed to meet publicly. They're being persecuted. And that is not here yet in the United States. But you start to feel the pressure on true biblical Christianity. And I mean biblical Christianity. I got a guy that I know that uh, just of all the marks that are found in Scripture about what Christianity is about, he doesn't hit any of them, okay? And we were talking the other day, and he's like, oh, I'm a Christian. And I was like, oh, please don't tell anyone that, right? Like, I'm not talking about cultural Christianity, people that grew up in Christianity or have been near Christianity, but true biblical Christianity is getting less and less accepted. Although we're not where it is in the rest of the world, Peter, for us, tells us and prepares us to live as a church in exile. What it's like to live in a world differently, where the values are different. And Peter lets us know what that looks like through this letter. And so I want to talk to you this morning from verses 1 and 2, what we need to know in order to live as exiles. What we need to know in order to live as exiles. The second half of verse 1, Peter says, Chosen 
according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Here's what you need to know, first of all, to live as an exile is this. You need to know that the Father chose us. You need to know that the Father chose us. Have you ever been to teach out down here just down the road, the pool? Or have you been to Adventure Bay? And you know when you're walking into the pool or to the, the wave pool at Adventure Bay, it's got like this gradual incline that goes down from the shallow end into the deep end. And it's just a gradual, if it's cold, you just kind of ease into it. Peter doesn't know anything about that. He just, uh, he's the guy that's on the side of the pool and he's pulling everybody in immediately into the deep end. Even mom that doesn't want to get her hair wet and her mascara is all over the place when she comes up. Like it doesn't matter. Peter is like, let's go. We're diving fully in. Because he actually says, starts out with a doctrine that is highly debated in the church. He says that you are chosen. Maybe some of your Bibles that you're using says elected. Let me just unpack what this means a little bit and hang with me. This means chosen. It means this. God in his sovereignty has chose you for salvation before the foundation of the world. That's what we just had read to us in Ephesians chapter 1. And really, almost every place in scripture alludes to this at the beginning of its letters or speaks about it directly that you who are Christians have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world for salvation. And when he says by the foreknowledge of God, this is what he is saying. It's, he's saying because of the foreknowledge of God. Now, many people look at this and say that uh, this means that God looked down the corridors of time and saw all who would be saved, and so he elected those people. But the wording that, Paul, that Peter is using here, he's not actually speaking of that. He's speaking of foreknowledge. Which, If you believe that, and a lot of people do, that's okay. I think you're wrong, but that's okay. Foreknowledge is, is meaning this, that God chooses to put his love on people for salvation. Not because they possess certain gifts or because of their goodness or because of their greatness, but out of God's great love for that person and all of who he is, he says, I'm going to elect you before the foundation of the world so that you will one day receive me when you are alive and you are well. Spurgeon says this, it's a good thing God chose me before I was born because he surely would not have afterwards. I love that. Peter, listen to this. I want you to see this. Peter doesn't say this to make you stress out or to make you argue. But he says this to people who are struggling so that they'll be encouraged. That this is meant to be an encouragement to them. And this is not just Peter and Paul. Jesus confirms the election of his people as he says in John chapter 6 verse 44. No one comes unless the Father draws him. John 6, verse 37, all who the Father gives me, I will never cast out. Now, what nationality is Peter? You can say it, it's okay. He's Jewish, right, very good. So he's, he's very Jewish, in fact, all right, and very in part a part of God's 
covenant people. So you're going to hear a lot of references from him back to Judaism, confirming what the people who are Jewish in this church know and see in light of Christ, and explaining it to the people that did not grow up in a Jewish place under the old covenant, and explaining to them now what's true of them in light of who Christ is. So Peter was very very, knew very well about election and that God chose his covenant people, the Jews, to be in a special relationship with him. But here's what he says about them in Deut- Deuteronomy 7 verse 7. He says, the Lord had in his heart to set on you and chose you. He's speaking to the Jewish people. Not because you were more numerous than all the people, for you were the fewest of all people. So God says, I chose you as a nation, not because you were awesome and you were going to make me look good, but because you were the worst nation of all of them. And so that I look at, so people look at me and say, wow, look how awesome, look incredible God is. And so this is meant to be an encouragement to those that are struggling in Asia Minor. It's not you that's awesome why God has chosen you. But in the midst of your suffering, God has said to you, I'm going to come send a Savior to die for you. And this is going to be put forth in your, in, in, for you for salvation. And so let me just unpack a little bit for us, because it's a lot to take in, why this is an encouragement for you and I today. God's election is an encouragement because you were once dead. Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this. It says, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Just yesterday I did a funeral. And if you know about funerals, I'm not making light of anything, but it's a true reality. It's a stark reminder that the person who is dead is incapable of doing anything. They can't eat with everyone else that's eating. They can't choose. They can do absolutely nothing. And the Bible says that you are spiritually dead. Not sleeping, not a little weak, but you are completely dead. And in order for you to be saved, God has to intervene and bring you to life. We cannot take a step towards God. He does it all because, as the scriptures say, salvation belongs to God. Let me just say this. It's good for you to wrestle with things in Scripture. It is good for you to look at it and say, some of this stuff doesn't sit well with me. And in fact, if you don't wrestle with Scripture, what you're saying, if you're just trying to hear something and try to make it make sense to you, what you're saying is, I'm not letting God be God. There should be room in your life as a Christian where God messes you up from time to time. To remind you that you're not God and he is. So this is an opportunity for us not to despair and go, oh, how could God be so unfair? But to be reminded that my thoughts are not God's thoughts, that his ways are not my ways. And so I want to come under your ways, God, and I want to see this as an opportunity to really see how vast and how big and how wonderful you are. And I want to worship you as a result. So this is good. If you don't wrestle with the things of God, you aren't really getting into the deep things of God. And so I would encourage you, get to that place. So you were once dead, incapable of nothing, so you were unable to choose God. Secondly, God's election is an encouragement to you because his love is based on his goodness and not yours. 
God's love is based on his goodness and not yours. I love what one pastor said. I've always remembered it. Listen to this. Have you ever thought before that God could never love me because of my past? There's no way that God could accept me. If he knows the evil, awful, and terrible things that I've done, God would never, ever forgive me. I'm so much worse than anyone else. Those good church people, yeah, they're awesome. They have it together. Not me. Listen. God's love for you cannot be based on your past because he loved you before you ever had one. He looked at you and didn't say, wow, what a great person you are, how awesome and beautiful you are. No, he said, before you could ever do anything, I've placed my love on you. I've placed my affection on you. And he also loves you in the past for this reason, too, that some of us, I think, have this, I do, at least, I have future Brad that I really like. Do you have the future you that you really like? The, the future you that has, has made all the right financial decisions and has really rich now at this point, right, at the end of his life. The future you that reads his Bible every single day and doesn't really struggle with sin anymore except for the small things in Scripture, Right? The future you that you look at and go, one day the future Brad is going to be extraordinary and God is going to love future Brad. No, because God has elected you before the foundation of the world, he doesn't love future you, he loves the you right now. Future you does not exist in this life. He loves you and all your brokenness, everything in you, and because he has chosen us, my desire is to want to live for him. But that's the next point, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want you to just sit in this for a moment. God has said to you, before you could do anything good, I want you to be in my family. And I am going to move heaven and earth in order to do it. And I am going to, just as I put forth my son before the foundation of the world, I'm going to have a plan in order to redeem you, knowing that you're going to walk away. And I'm going to send my son to pay the price to make it possible for you to enter into my family. And I'm going to adopt you, not because you're awesome or you can benefit me, because I'm awesome and glorious. And so here he is, speaking to chosen exiles. First of all, he tells them their identity. You're chosen, not because you're awesome, but because I'm awesome. And now this is where you live. You are in exile. Because of who you are, you live now differently in a world that is hostile towards you. And so secondly, I want us to see, to live as an exile, we need to know the Spirit has set us apart. To live as an exile, we need to know the Spirit has set us apart. Look at verse 2. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient. We'll stop there for just a moment. Sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctify means to be set apart or to be dedicated to. There was a time where the Father chose you in eternity past. And then there was a time that the Spirit set you apart so that you're able to receive Christ. We're going to talk about more of that last week. So I'm not going to spend, next week I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. But I want you to see that the Spirit is working in your salvation. It shows you, the Holy Spirit shows you, He shows you your need for Jesus. And then He enables you because His desire is not just for you to be saved, but to live in obedience to Jesus. 
So the Holy Spirit sets you apart so that you are able to see your need for Jesus and place your trust in him. And then he lives and empowers you to live as an exile. The Holy Spirit of God living inside of you to live, to obey, to live like Christ in this world. So God elects you. The Spirit sets you apart to see your need for Jesus. And thirdly, to live as an exile as an exile, you need to know the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us. Now, it's kind of a weird thing that Peter says here. Remember, he's Jewish. He docks differently than you do. And he says, verse 3, and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, the very end of verse 2. To be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what is Peter getting at here? That's kind of a weird terminology there, isn't it? He's referring back to the Old Testament when the people of Israel received the law at Mount Sinai. And when they received the law, what they said was, Moses said, this is what God demands. And all the people said in unison, all that you have said, we will do. Now, did they do it? No. But what happened was there were a bunch of animals that were slaughtered. And the blood of those animals were sprinkled on the people that were entering into this covenant. And it was blood of goats and sheep that could never take away sins. So Peter is saying here that you have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Not in an old covenant that you can never keep, but a new and better covenant. That was started and inaugurated by Jesus that he alone is able to keep for you. Simply this, because of Jesus, your sins can be taken away. Because of Jesus, you can be washed clean. Because the perfect sacrifice was given on behalf of imperfect people. I love what Juan Sanchez says. I love that name. Isn't that a great name? Juan Sanchez says this. Every member of the Trinity is involved in saving you. Every single member of the Trinity is involved in saving you. God chooses. Jesus supplies his blood. The Holy Spirit enables us to see our need for Christ and awakens us for salvation. Now, I know that in these first two verses, Paul or Peter unpacks a ton of stuff here. And he's going to unpack a ton more. All right? So we want this time to not just have you come and hear me preach this. I would love for us as a church to study this, to read it, and to dive into it long before you ever get here on Sunday. So here's what I want to do for you is by way of homework this week. I want you, first of all, to watch the video that is sent out to you. I'm going to send you a great video that encompasses all of 1 Peter from the, gospel, from the uh, Bible Project. It's going to give you a great high-level view of what is it all about and what is Peter trying to get at. It's a seven-minute video. I want you to set seven minutes aside. I think we can do that to watch this video together. And then I want you to read the book of 1 Peter in its entirety. It's only five chapters, taking maybe 15 minutes, all right? Uh, perhaps 20 if you're better than me and you really take your time, all right? But it's maybe even 10 if you're a fast reader. But I want you to read the entire book of 1 Peter. And then every day of next week, I want you to read 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. 
1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. I don't want you to move on from that. Take a picture of it if you need to. We'll send it out an email as well or write it down. Really, let's dive into this together so that next week you're not seeing this for the very first time, but you've already spent a week with questions, observations, things in verses 1 through 12 that are going to help you to take this all in in this deep, glorious chapter. Chosen by God to live as exiles. God is calling us to live in light of who we are and to live in that light in a world that desperately needs it. You know, when I went on that mission, I thought I had it all together. I thought I had it all planned out. I had no idea what was in store. But I knew when I got there that there was a team of people around me that has, was unified in mission with me. And God has called us to be exiles. There's an S on that. It's not exile. This isn't a, a quest for you on your own. But us living together under the word of God, under his authority, knowing who we are and living in a world and enduring and submitting and being a different new kind of people together. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of God, the Trinity. It's amazing. So we're going to take it some time to remember that we were chosen by God that God's blood was, Christ's blood was shed for us so that we could have salvation. And the Spirit awakened our hearts from, dead, from deadness to newness to see our need for Christ. So if this is for people who have had a time where they have realized they were a sinner, that they needed Jesus, they repented of their sin, that means they turned from their sin and turned to Jesus and trusted in him alone for salvation. So I'm going to pray in just a moment. You'll see on the screen behind me how we do communion here and who this is really for. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. But this isn't for you, okay? Nobody's going to embarrass you or make fun of you for not participating. Don't. We're so glad you're here. Or in fact, why don't you trust Jesus right now and partake with us? All right. Let's pray together.